This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. It's almost like buying a house. You're like, what do I want in a house? Or what do I want from an organization? And for me, the biggest one was winning. And then the second one was how they treat your, their players. And, you know, how an organization treats their players. There's like a ton of bullet points that go, that go into that. It was like dump the two-seam where we're going all four-seam fastballs because the numbers on it are too good not to throw. You know, heavy slider attack with changeup mixed in. It started there, and then from there, when I got to the Giants, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, let's lose the changeup and let's develop a curveball in place of the changeup, and now I'm here. I look at the fastball in the upper quadrants of the zone really well, um, which is hard to do damage on or at least get to in, with high velocity. I would say... Uh, the the just the the numbers the high carry numbers on the fastball is what makes it unique. I, I feel like I'm pretty simple and, and, and I could give up a lot if, if I'm gonna win. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me across the Zoom line today, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri, coming at us from the stadium. How you doing, Al? I'm great. Thank you, John. Good to hear from you. Al, we have a really cool episode today. We're going to hear from, finally, Yankees starter Carlos Rodon. It's an interview that I did in spring training, so uh, it's been a while. We've been waiting a while, but we finally get to watch this just really awesome picture work. Al, we're going to talk about your story as well that you did with Carlos Rodon, plus your story, another one from the July issue on Harrison Bader. Looking forward to it. Both of them were you know, a lot of fun to do the reporting on. A lot of fun to write, um, and it, you know, in both cases, uh, I hope that they're worth the wait because it took a little bit longer to get them into Yankees Magazine, at least, than we had originally thought it would. And we'll tell those stories, but first, let's hear from Carlos Rodon. So, Carlos Rodon, awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for coming to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome to the Yankees, obviously. The teams you've played for, the White Sox, the Giants, now the Yankees, you're talking about historic franchises. Uh, you know, what does it mean when you put on the uniform and you know the names of some of those guys who have come before you? Yeah, I mean, everybody knows who the New York Yankees are and, you know, the lineage and the history that comes with these pinstripes. They definitely are thick, I guess you could say. Uh, there's a lot of Hall of Famers, a lot of guys that are just legends. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, a historic organization. What's there not to like? Pretty awesome, I imagine. I I, I, I can only try to pretend I know what goes into a free agency decision. You know, you're, you're talking about contract terms and things like that that are truly life-changing. But it also, I mean, literally is life-changing. You are picking up your life and yeah. you know, going somewhere different. 
from that time, you have the press conference in December. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend the next couple months getting ready, and then you show up at spring training. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but is there ever a moment when you're just sitting there and it's like, man, I hope I'd made the right call. Like, you can't know yet until you get out there, right? I don't know. I haven't really sat down and be like, I hope I made the right call. <laughs> okay, well, let's not do it now then, yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. No, I, I think there's, yeah, I, there's a lot to condense what you said. There's a lot that goes into this decision. And so the la- actually, we'll go, uh, the last two years I've you know been a free agent and they've both been kind of polar opposite the, the the last two years as far as you know what free agency was like um although you know in 21 going into 22 that off season we had the lockout and that was just like it's a whole nother story but you know the the difference in decision making was you know it was it was big and i guess the difference in how teams viewed me was vastly different you know the year before i wasn't sitting down with teams and having meetings and mm-hmm you know, talking about, you know, what they do for families and what they do for this and what they do for that. It was just like a whole different experience. And just circling back to your question, the, there are so many decisions that go into it. But I, the biggest one for me was, you know, it's almost like buying a house. You're like, what do I want in a house? Or what do I want from an organization? And for me, the biggest one was winning. And then the second one was how they treat your, their players and, you know, how an organization treats their players. There's like a ton of bullet points that go that go into that. So um, it was an easy decision to, to be a New York Yankee because, you know, they fit the, the top two criteria really easily. And winning was – I felt like I'm pretty simple and, and, and I could give up a lot if, if I'm going to win. Obviously, as a starting pitcher, I mean, you know – how hard you're going to work and how much you're going to do to prepare, but you're also going to be out there one out of every five days. So when you are making that decision, how much are you looking at? Okay. Garrett Cole, Esther Cortez, Luis Severino, like yeah, this I is a rotation I want to be in. For sure. I, I think when you get to this point in your career, I think guys that make to this point, they size up, they size up the teams, right? They're like, all right, what do they look like? How did they perform last year? Uh, what are they going to look like this year? And, you know, in, in the next couple of years, and how do I fit in that squad? And how how does it how does it look? Me being part of that squad, so I, I you know I think that's what guys look at. They're like they they try to picture you know what a what a full season looks like and and see how far you know if they could picture themselves in in a World Series. I feel like at least that's what I did. I was like, does can this team make it? One of my favorite things about this sport, and I think I say this in something like half of our episodes, is that there are just so many different ways to do it. And an example that I go back to a lot is, you know, Garrett shows up on his on his day of his start, and it looks like he walks into the clubhouse in the sixth inning. I mean, he's just like, you know, full shield mask on. Nestor is just floating around like, you know, on a cloud on the days that he starts, whatever. Mm-hmm. And both work. There's no one way to do it. I'm curious not knowing much about you yet, not having seen you too much yet, where do you put in your mentality and your philosophy in terms of how you kind of approach whether just game days, but also just, you know, game faces? Well, I mean, I feel like the day that we, we pitches, the day that a starter pitches is, is, you know, that's simple to say that that's their day. I think that's the day that we're all prepared for. So um, there are, an array of personalities and starting pitchers for sure. And like you said, between Nestor and Garrett, I feel like I would fall somewhere kind of in between depending on how the last couple starts have gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be full fledged on, you know, uh, so focused that I, I just don't even hear anybody. And I probably will walk by in the hall, but I'm not trying to be a d- 
know, or I could be like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, everything's going great. But I try to fall somewhere right in the middle. CC was always, yeah. I mean, CC would just like, he would call you over and talk to you on the day he started. Yeah. He didn't care. And, and I think it worked for, I mean, they're just different guys, different things yeah, work for I them, try, right? I'm not trying to, I, I, I feel like I'm not an extremist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm more of like in, in the, in the middle of like, yeah, I have, you know, I have a game phase or I have a, you know, a, a start day mentality, but I'm not going to be a complete. I gotcha. So what do you think if you had to scout your fastball? What do you think makes your fastball so effective? I, I look at the fastball in the upper quadrants of the zone really well, which is hard to do damage on or at least get to in, with high velocity. The numbers, the high carry numbers on the fastball is what makes it unique. That's pretty yeah, much that's, it. It's easy now to go through. You know, you don't need to be have all the data that they have in that room there. And I can just tell you, obviously, you know this, you know, change up down fastball up everything like that yeah it seems like it was a pretty conscious move in that point what 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 were you seeing what were you feeling that made you say you know what i can really thrive on these two pitches the fastball slider and really drop that change up mostly not entirely but mostly well i think you know it started um when i was with the chicago white Sox. my pitching coach um at the time was ethan katz and we we kind of made the, the the conscious decision of you know there's some delivery issues that we needed to clean up and you know how do we, how do we deploy the arsenal now now that i have you know my mechanics down packed and i know how to repeat them every time now the arsenal plays a little different right it's not sinker you know it's not two seamer four seamer mixture with you know slider and change up um it was like dump the two seamer we're going all four seam fastballs because the numbers on it are too good not to throw um, and you know, slider, heavy slider attack with change up mixed in. It started there, and then from there, when I got to the Giants, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, let's lose the change up and let's develop a curveball in place of the change up. And now I'm here. <laughs> Obviously, there is, there should be a healthy competition among starting pitchers in some ways. You know, you want to keep that stuff going. So I, I think the important thing. You versus Nestor on that mustache. Who, who who's working the better mustache right now? I mean, think? he's had it longer, but I I, I think uh, in this short window, mine has grown vastly better than his. A lot of upside potential there. Yeah, I think, too. you could tell it's there. Yeah, there, yeah. there. Austin Wells also coming in hot. Very good. Yeah, he has the uh, quite the amount of facial hair. <laughs> I, I I I find it totally remarkable to go back and look at that. NC State team that you were yeah. a part of and that 2014 draft. I mean, I think between you and Trey Turner, we're talking pretty close to like 50 wins above replacement already at this point. What do you think that means for that program, certainly as a whole, but also just like your other teammates and your coaches just saying like, yeah, you know, I played a little bit of college ball, but like, by the way, Carlos Redon, <laughs> Trey Turner, those are my guys. That's got to be incredible. I think the the baseball program there is kind of often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more underdogs when, you know, if we're going to talk about college baseball, they're, they, they're, over, they're looked as underdogs quite often, but I, you know, I hope, you know, they just started, they just started some, some stadium re- renovations. They redid the surface. They did a few other things. They redid the outfield fence. They started to bring some money in. They're redoing the whole thing. Cause I think as of late, they've, they've been really good. They made it to the world series in 21, I think. Mm-hmm. There was the whole COVID thing uh, that they went through, but I don't I don't know all the logistics that went into that. But uh, yeah, I mean 
they've been very good. I don't know since Elliot has been there. Elliot Avent, the head coach, has been there. They've been a great, you know, a great program. And I, you know, it seems like they're getting a lot more, a lot more guys that are, you know, kind of like the overlooked. And that's what Trey was overlooked uh, player and an overlooked or, overlooked program. And you know, did you guys have any contact with the because the USA program's right there too, right? Yeah, we both played USA. We played uh, both years. We played in. Uh, 12 in 2013. And that's in and, Cary, right? Which is right. Yeah, it's yeah. down the road about 20 minutes. That's great. Um, so it was fun. I, I know that, you know, last year he's with the Dodgers. You're with the Giants. Yeah. Obviously, you got some chances. Yeah. Is it hard to stay in exactly the same battle mentality, battle mode that you want? No, not happen? at all. It's even more. I think it's like when I'm pretty sure if you asked him this question. Because you guys like, were roommates, by the way. It yeah, wasn't just, <laughs> no, yeah, no. Yeah, we were <laughs> we were roommates and then we went to USA and then we were roommates. You know, so like Trey and I know each other very well. Obviously, we have our own lives now, so it's hard to keep in touch because you know this game of baseball is real busy. But no, I think <laughs> he probably answered the question the same way I'd answer this question. Um, it, it's almost more like, it's like brothers. you want to do, more. yeah, you want to be your like, brother, dude. I'm gonna beat you. Mm-hmm. No, he wants to. He wants to beat me, and so. I think he ended up getting. I think he hit a double, maybe he hit a double and a single. But I think I struck him out. You have three strikeouts against him. He has, I think, two hits against two him, hits. One double. Yeah, one double. I think he might have one run scored. No steals. There you no go. No steals. What's the best advice you ever got about pitching? If you could just take one thing that you, man, that clicked. I mean, I've had so many conversations. Know. You know what I mean? Like I've just had. I've had so many conversations about pitching. There's just like there's not just one. There's not just one thing that sticks out to me where I'm like, oh yeah, that's what made me, that's what made it click. Like that's, it's just, that's not realistic <laughs> yeah, to say because there's so many conversations I've had about pitching and I, I don't even know how to answer this question for you. Well, I'll make it even harder than what about life? Is there, do you have some mantra or something that you have picked up that you just, this is how I want to live my life? Yeah. Don't, don't take life too seriously. Eh, I mean, works. I like, you know, I, I take this game real seriously. So I guess that's what puts it into perspective when you hear someone say that to you. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Carlos Rodon 2014, kid being drafted, whatever, what do you see about yourself now that is different? Uh, well, baseball was easy from, you know, age 10 to 21. And then you become a professional and it humbles you really fast. But I wouldn't change that for the world. Like, I'm glad I went through just getting my butt whooped throughout the early parts of my career because I wouldn't be the pitcher I am now without that. Like I, I, you know, I didn't really understand how to lose. Like, you know, I lost, but I won a lot at a young age, like a lot, like never really lost. Didn't understand how to lose well and um, never really got my butt whooped. You know, even in college, like there's some days like I didn't have it, but I never was in front of like 30,000 people at, you know, had guaranteed right field against the New York Yankees when they had Carlos Beltran, A Rod, and Teixeira, and you give up seven runs in one inning, and you you want to go inside and you punch a wall, and you say this sucks, this this sucks, and it hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not only does your hand hurt, but your soul hurts. <laughs> I never really had that, but I, I needed that. I needed that. It was good. Well, At the great. time, I didn't want it. I didn't know I needed it, but. Well, I knew I needed it. You know, it's a, a my, my son. I have a ten year old son, and uh, last year he won his baseball league. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he's been playing, you know, rec sports for a while, but this was the first time he won anything. And I'll tell you, we lost, I, I was coaching the team. We lost in his basketball playoffs and the difference in his reaction losing this time after having experienced winning. I mean, this time he was just like devastated. Whereas yeah. before it's like, okay, the season's over, but now he knows what winning feels like. Yeah. And it was a totally different oh, experience. It's a terrible feeling. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. We'll see you soon. Cheers, man. Yeah. Cheers. Hi, this is Oswaldo Cabrera. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. This is Nick Swisher, and you're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back, Al. Like I said at the beginning, that interview, no surprise here. We recorded it during spring training. So it's a little strange listening to it back now when we recorded it he was you know scheduled to be pitching the second game of the season one part that admittedly i cut from the version that we just played was him talking about how a successful season means 30 to 35 starts you know we're not going to get 30 to 35 starts in 2023 from carlos Rodon. but what i think that you get from the interview and what we definitely get from your feature in the july magazine called all revved up is this is a guy who is just ready to go ready to work and set back aside it, it, listening to it, reading it makes me really excited to watch what the next few months ha- certainly have. But also, let's not forget, this guy didn't sign a you know three-month contract with the Yankees. We're going to be watching him for a while. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that, you know, I don't think you lose excitement or enthusiasm about someone when they're on a six-year contract and they represent, you know, a, a big portion of the future of the rotation, the present and the future. Now, I guess I can say, but I think at the same time, it's easy for us to kind of almost forget that we signed them because three months is a long time, you know, without somebody. And it's like a nice surprise. It's almost like we reacquired him now, I guess you could say, but setbacks are the worst because you go through the initial injury. And I think as an amateur athlete, I've dealt with this. I see professional athletes going through it. You deal with the injury and all the mental stress that that means or that goes along with that and all the hardship and all that stuff. And and Carlos Rodon had some significant injuries. And then you come back from it. Sometimes a setback is even worse because it's like I did all this to get back. And it, it just for lack of a better word, it sucks, you know, and he went through it. But the good point is there's a lot of baseball left to be played in the 2023 regular season and he's he's getting revved up as i as i allude to the the cover here all revved up out clearly there is somewhat of an auto racing theme to this story and the, the idea of getting into a pit and, and, and getting making a pit stop and really you know you watch whether it's watching nascar or whether it's watching f1 these absolute magicians who you know they, they they pull into the pit and within a couple seconds you know somehow they have new tires on let me tell you last week i had to get a uh, two oil changes and uh, it takes a little longer in uh for, for us commoners than uh, some some of these guys are used to but Al, i i almost take it slightly differently from the way you just said it because sure, yeah, setbacks are a bummer and everything like that. But in Carlos Rodon, we have a guy who has done it in a sense and who knows how to work his way back and who knows how to find what he needs to do in order to be effective. This, this guy rebuilt his career, recreated himself as a pitcher. And that's why he was the top left-hander on the market this past offseason who we're finally now getting to watch. No, I agree with you. I, I meant more along the lines of the timing of this was – 
was unfortunate, you know, because you come here with a lot of excitement. You can't wait to get going and you have to wait to get going. He has done it. I think the mental aspect is so crucial to making a comeback, whether it's from a significant injury, whether it's a setback like this with his, you know, with his arm and, you know, subsequently his back and stuff and, and just being able to show up every day, wherever that is, whether it's, you know, when you're healthy to the stadium or when you're not healthy to some backfield in Tampa and rehab and all that stuff and keep it moving forward, keep gaining momentum towards what you ultimately want. He's done it and he's done it a lot, unfortunately, or in this case, fortunately. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I went with the theme, the revved up, the, you know, the motorsports uh, theme uh, that might be the most I've ever written about motorsports, or you may have seen the extent of my knowledge about it as well because i don't know too much uh about it although it's it's pretty fascinating to me but i took that on just because he lives in indianapolis and went to a, a facility there you know kind of as a pit stop in his career and your words are exactly right i mean he literally rebuilt something from the bottom up from the ground up that was really effectively broken and not not working at all you know from a first round pick to not being able to stay healthy and not being able to pitch effectively at all over a long period of time to then having, you know, surgery, Tommy John and, and all that stuff. And then having to figure it out mechanically, it's pretty remarkable, but he did. And, and I think that'll carry forward now that he's getting healthy again. It's pretty rare. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, you don't see a lot of guys with his profile who are essentially just not tender to contract. In the way he was, and then for him to resign with with the White Sox after that, and you know, just kind of recognize that look, we got to be in this together because we can't do it alone. Essentially, uh, you know, again, I, I kind of keep repeating myself here, and it, it's a little hard so far. We've seen, yeah, you know, as we're recording this, we've seen two starts from him. Certainly, he's still working his way into form, but well, he's in spring training mode. Now. Exactly, he's in that exactly. well, not mode, but in the. From a developmental standpoint, yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's early, late March for him, and it's you know mid July for everyone else. So so it's strange in that regard. But you know, he really just I I don't know, man. It's not there haven't been that many people that we've done episodes with uh, on this podcast so far where I didn't really know. I'd never really spoken to the person in any way, and, and this interview was my first time speaking to Carlos Rodon. Um, you know, I introduced myself to him as we were walking to the little studio that we had there in Tampa, and, and you know, it, it, it's funny to listen back to it now because on the one hand, it's not. I I, have, I actually have not spoken to him one on one since then either, uh, even though that was four months ago at this point. But it's just you know. Going back to that kind of that moment and the optimism of it and the excitement of it and, and knowing that that is still in front of us and, the, and and that that all is there. But again, I was just listening to it as I'm editing through it. And it's like, man, you know, March, that was an interesting time. You know, th- things felt a little different then. And, you know, yeah. say what you will. It, it, there's, you know, the Yankees are certainly well within reach of a playoff spot right now. And there's a lot of baseball up ahead of you. But you know, it's not for nothing that we always talk about just how optimistic a time spring training is. And every team goes through ruts, every team struggles at some point. But, you know, it's rare that I feel like for me personally, I get to feel that juxtaposition of emotions quite as firmly or, you know, on the nose, in a sense, as when I was doing this the other day. Yeah, I, I think it's 
I feel similarly to you because I interviewed him at the highest of high points, you know, where he literally at the press conference. Was it at the press conference? Correct. Yeah, it was. It was actually um, ironically, it was in the suite where yes. he was decompressing, let's say, um, with his family, you know, and and uh, very, very close friends. His agent was there. Um, kids are running around and. And ironically, is this kind of a funny segue to um, <laughs> to the next story we're going to talk about. The reason that I didn't interview him at the press conference was because I had spent from like seven o'clock in the morning that day till 12 or something with Harrison Bader, you know, a couple miles up the road reporting on that story um, and got back late and was slated to to write both of these stories came in and our media relations director, Michael Margolis, you know, I, I said I needed some time with him, um, with Carlos. And, you know, again, originally Michael was like, well, let's do it before. I'm like, well, I can't really do it before I'm doing something else. And he got me into the suite there and it was actually better because it was more relaxed. Again, he was just kind of chilling out had finally gotten some food and, and, uh, some drinks and stuff. And, um, you know, it's the highest of highs. He had just signed a six-year contract and his future was set. So it was really nice to have that time with him to rec uh, reflect on all that it took to get to that point. And, you know, like you, John, I'm so used to writing stories about big-time free agents who sign here. And the whole, you know, so many of those look the same or feel the same in that it was all success from the time they were eight years old, just getting better and better and better. And then they get this big contract. And you almost cut and paste some of the narrative, right? Well, with this one, what was so kind of what was so unique is the narrative was completely different. It was a guy who, how the hell did he get to this point where he was getting this type of contract? But he did it on mental toughness and literally being as, as intuitive and um inventive as he possibly could in finding the right people to to remake him, or as he said, to fix him. It really is. It's a fun thing. I think it's a fun thing about Yankees magazine. I'll put it this way. Look, I just filed, you know, I'm working on the editing process right now for my feature in the August issue. And my feature in the August issue is very much about something that's happening right now at the stadium, a player and what he's doing right now. My feature in the July issue was something that happened 40 years ago that I did the interview for last September. Yeah. You know, Al, you know, it, it's we're, we're talking about our July issue. Your two features in the July issue, as you said, you did the interview for the same day in December of 2022. But what I like is, look, maybe it's that, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Maybe it's that you're just such a good writer that you're able to, you know, create this stuff and feel in the moment. They both felt very present. And and, and it's funny that the Radon story feels so present and, frankly, the Bader one, because both of those, not only are they based off interviews that you did months ago, but they were also slated to run earlier. But there were, there's just this sense of them that really feels kind of very much in the present, which I, I don't think is something that you always get from monthly magazine writing and it's a tribute to the way you put them together. What were you, you know, as we move into Bader now in the story in July, it's called Surreal. You know, what were you trying to tell in kind of an evergreen sense with this story that, you know, could, could turn one morning and afternoon in late December into something that can resonate all throughout the 2023 season? Some stories, and you're right, I, I think that's the best thing about our official publications is that. They're very diverse. And what I mean by that is 
Some are things that are happening right now. Some are retrospective about a, a great player's career on an anniversary of something or at a key time in, in history. Um, and then in this case, it's about a guy who we acquired who did some amazing, you know, and Harrison Bader, who did some amazing things last year. There's no doubt about that during the postseason and and even, you know, right when he got here. But what, what was really fascinating to me was as long as this guy's on the roster <laughs> here, his backstory, and you pointed this out too when you were editing it, his backstory is one that Yankees fans need to hear. And I remember the conversation you and I had about like everybody knows what he did in October worth mentioning again because it was amazing i mean the amount of home runs he hit in you know against the guardians and then and then you know the astros absolutely remarkable but what was even more i guess enlightening to to me as a as a person reporting on it and hopefully to our readers is just the whole process that he went through from growing up you know 12 or whatever it is miles north of where i'm sitting right now and in bronxville um, being this passionate Yankees fan with a family who were passionate Yankees fans, but having enough perspective to know that although his dream was to play for the Yankees, you know, he knew that the the dream was that, but the goal was just to play in the majors because he didn't have control over, you know, whether the Yankees would draft him or ultimately trade for him or whatever. Um, so he had that perspective. And then, you know, the, the, the part that really, like I said, resonated that I, I felt like this could go in any issue of Yankees magazine, no matter when I reported on it, was this crazy process that he had where he started at, you know, with a commitment to one school and moved to another one. And then ultimately still really wasn't happy. He was going to be a walk on at Maryland and his travel baseball team who ironically my son's travel baseball team just played last weekend, the, um, the grays, you know, in, in his last travel baseball tournament beat literally in August, right before he went to college or was set to start at Maryland. There's a, you know, a coach from university of Florida there who sees him um, and sees him do some, some incredible stuff and reaches out to his dad and, before you know it, he's going to University of Florida, and that was a springboard to his whole career. Um, so those things I felt like, as long as he's here, really, really great for our readers to to see and, and read and learn about. It's funny because we just had the uh, draft during All Star Week, obviously, and and you know a couple of days ago, the Yankees' first and third rounders, their first two picks, both signed. So we can you know talk about obviously that these guys are entering the system and it begins. And it, it always is fascinating to me because it's so, in a sense, non-linear and it's also just so precarious. You know, you, you look at a guy like Harrison Bader, everything about that guy, I mean, everything about the way he carries himself, the way he looks, he just looks like such a ball player. And he, I mean, he looks like such a New York Yankee in, in some ways. And yet... It's just such an accident of happenstance that like he happened to be discovered in, in the way you talk about so well in the story. No one really trusted. They thought he wanted to go to an Ivy League school. It's not really clear why that story got around because he and his father were like, no, he just wants a chance to play baseball. And suddenly different people started watching him. But weirdly, 
my mind keeps going someplace and, and maybe I've even spoken about this at some point. I don't know, but it reminds me of when Tim Tebow was a minor leaguer and people would say like, how dare he, how dare he take uh you know, positions from someone else as though anyone had ever cared about the roster of the, you know, high a Columbia fireflies before this moment, the, the, the right. sanctity of, of that roster space that he was taking, whatever. But you know, they're like, you know, it's so unfair to the other players and yada, yada, yada. And where I kept going with that is like, how many times do you hear stories about a guy who is discovered, a guy who is seen because scouts were there to see somebody else? And, you know, like Harrison Bader's is one of those cases. Like, I mean, he wouldn't have been discovered necessarily if not for all the other players that he was around in these showcases, all the scouts who were there to see them. He's a nobody. No one's really given him much time because he's undersized and all this stuff. And now he's just a New York Yankee where, like I said, he's kind of like supposed to be, you know, you never know why it's going to happen. You never know who the scout is there for, but you can make the scout be there for you in a sense. If you, if you show up that day and, and Bader and your son, maybe who knows they're just, you know, more of those stories. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I've always said this. If, if you're a good enough baseball player, you, you'll be found the same can't be said for the amazing band, you know, that plays in a bar. They just might not be, and they might be better than the bands, you know, you go to see all the time, John, you know, but they just, there's no scouts for that. And that's it. If you're a good enough baseball player and you put yourself in that situation, eventually it's kind of hard not to be seen. But in this case, you know, it makes you doubt that a little bit because he was somebody who, you know, almost didn't get seen. And had he gone to Maryland and been a walk on there, maybe he doesn't make the team. You never know, you know, what, what happens, you know, the Ivy league thing I think is really fascinating because you know, he went to a very, very prestigious high school and was a straight A student there. So he could have gone probably Ivy League as a, as a student, which was an amazing thing in and of itself. And I guess the assumption was just that because he had the grades to do it from the school that he, he was in, that that's just what he was going to do. His aspirations were not to do that. How the rumor started is even more weird. And the fact that his dad... His parents didn't even know that that rumor was swirling. Is yeah, they, to, to interrupt you, they didn't know why he wasn't being recruited. And finally, yeah. someone told them, oh, it's because everyone's saying he's going to the Ivy Leagues. And they said, uh, that's news to us. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, and, and I think it's interesting, too. Like, when you look at what he did in high school, and when you look at, um, just from a statistical standpoint, you just look at him. Sometimes I'm like, I marvel about how colleges are not interested in someone and it's like what else would he have had to do (laughs) like you know you're hitting somewhere between 400 and 500 with all this power he catches still to this day but even back then anything that comes with like within a mile of him he flies through the air and and gets and it's like okay so if colleges aren't interested in him then who the heck are they interested in (laughs) you know it's like who is better than that you know but yeah at the same time it's it's a weird process. It's a very, very odd process, you know, but I feel like if he didn't have these lucky breaks, he still would have ended up playing baseball for a living because he was just too good to to not. So I'll tell you, from the moment you started reporting this, certainly as we were editing it, as we slotted it into, I believe, our June issue and then finally <laughs> getting it into our July issue, the biggest question I've had for you, I, I don't know how many people have picked up on this from whether they're watching post-game coverage in the S Network. 
Harrison Bader can have a one for four day with a single and a couple of routine catches, and he can find a way to talk about it for about 35 minutes. If you put a microphone in front of him, he just talks. He, he's very, he goes on and on about some things in ways that is very generous and really helpful for a writer. My God, how much tape did you have from this interview? And how did you possibly decide what to use? Because he gives you a lot of stuff and, and all of it's interesting, but it's just, man, that, that guy will, he, he will keep on adding into the stories he's telling and he'll keep on giving you more and more and more. The good thing was I did it in December. <laughs> See <your> time. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I get intimidated by how much I have to transcribe, you know, like, oh my God. And I don't know if you have that same anxiety, like, how am I ever going to get this done? Because then after that, I have to write the story. So something I've done is I literally, when I have that much, I just try to take 10 minutes a day. Well, I had a lot of days to do that, 10 minutes, you know, and sometimes 10 turns into 12 or 15 or whatever, and off we go. So I chipped away at it, but it was extensive. Like good (laughs) good quotes were like, I had like 8,000 words and really good usable stuff, not just the you know, the malarkey that you, the small talk stuff, you know, the real good stuff was like 8,000 words. We went to his favorite coffee shop, which was so cool because it's where he went when he was in high school and where he kind of goes now when he is at home with, with his parents. And um, we got rocking and rolling and, you know, you, you ask a question and, you know, when you're doing a one-on-one like that, obviously different from, you know, a post-game interview or whatever you're, you got, you know, 25, 30 questions. So like after the first question, we were at like eight minutes and I'm like, oh boy, you know, we're not on a really good pace here. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just funny to me because you go back to the postseason last year and he's doing so much in that series against the Guardian. So every yeah. game they bring him into the interview room and then it's just like, hey man, we got to roll other people through here. Like <laughs> people have deadlines. Yeah. we don't have deadlines necessarily, but the other writers do. Like, I don't know when you ever tell a player like that's enough, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> well, in this case, the way that it, the way that it, it kind of went down was his, his mother actually joined us at the, um, at the coffee shop. And we, Harrison and I were talking for so long that her and our photographer, Jim Petrozello, kind of tapped me on the shoulder at one point. So after the coffee shop, we were going to the, the Little League field where he played and we were all originally going to go together. And they tapped me on the shoulder and we're like, hey, we don't know when you guys are going to finish. So we're going to go over there and scout out some shots over there. So Harrison's mom and Jim actually drove over together because they were tired of listening to us talk. And then we met them there. And, you know, and of course it was one of those things where we didn't get there right away. (laughs) They got there quite a bit before us. It's all, it's all for a good cause Al. because the story, again, it's called surreal by Harrison Bader, the opening spread. If you have not already seen it in the July issue, just a guy just at the top of the world, but also on the little league field where he grew up playing, you know, like you said, just, couple about a dozen or so miles away from yankee stadium it's a it's a story that is made for yankees magazine it's great that we finally get it in and i I think as we discuss both of these stories like i said you know the second half is underway right now it's a big uh couple weeks right now for the yankees as the trade deadline looms but i think one of the stories of this season obviously the inverse of last year if you will last year the team was so healthy in the first half and couldn't stay healthy in the second half this year both Bader and certainly Carlos Rodon missed a lot of time in the first half. They're back. 
certainly the hope is Aaron Judge is back soon. I think we have a lot to look forward to in the second half of baseball here, you know, as the team fights its way back instead of trying to hold on. And I, I know I look forward to talking more about this stuff with you and looking at the stories that we are frantically working on right now in the August issue of Yankees Magazine. Same here. Can't we're looking forward to that. Yeah, and you, you make a great point. Sometimes it's better to chase than uh, have people chasing you. So hopefully that's where this thing goes and we can catch everybody above us. I guess uh, ask us about it in the first week of October and we'll see how it went. But uh, in the meantime, Al, good talking. See you soon. And uh, thank you all. Thank you. Hi, this is Jose Chirino. For more stories like these, be sure to pick up Yankees Magazine. You can get a copy the next time you're at the ballpark or by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. Thanks for listening. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Brian Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, your book, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks.